What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? Is it just going to church? Is it having made a choice, a decision 45 years ago? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, very simply, those that profess faith in Christ. Now, that profession will bring forth fruits that will then confirm that profession. Not just saying, am I Christian, but living as a Christian. And not what tradition says a Christian is, not what history says a Christian is, but what the books of the Bible say that a Christian is. So it's a profession, and it's a fruit-bearing profession. What it ultimately means is being a Christian are those who are actually saved from their sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, and their hope and their salvation and all of this is to be found only in Jesus Christ. But what a Christian also means is those who are taught by Christ. Those who are taught by Christ. And that's what the word disciple means. Somebody who is taught. And so therefore a Christian is to be a disciple. Is to be willingly taught by Christ. By the word of Christ. And what does Christ teach? Well, well, to bring you into the gospel kingdom, he teaches you the way of salvation in the preaching of the gospel, but also teaches the, the life of the saved, the life of salvation, in how we are to live. And besides being a disciple, as we see in our text also, being a disciple is not just learning things, but it's following the Savior. It's following the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's walking behind him in the way that he goes, in the, in the examples that he set, in how he has taught that we should go and we should follow it, going neither to the left nor to the right, not by a jot, not by an iota, but keeping perfectly on the way that the Lord would have us go. It's following Christ, saying, thinking, and desiring all that he commands and letting go all that he forbids. And rebukes. So it, it, it's, it's following, it's calling upon God, claiming Christ, taking on the name of Christ, being his disciple, uh, and following him, following in his footsteps. And therefore, when you follow somebody, you go where they go. Just to re-emphasize that point, you go where they go. You can't say you're following someone if they go up on this path and you take another path uh, on your, your hike in the Rockies. If you're going to follow someone, you would take the path that they take. If they walk up a hill, you walk up a hill. If they go down that way, you go down that way. Exactly where they go. And speaking of following Christ, you may have heard of a man called uh, Thomas Akempis from the 1400s very briefly mention him. And he was a man who moved to Holland in his, in, in his teen years, and he became a monk, and he wrote a book entitled The Imitation, or it could even be, say, The Following of Christ, The Imitation of Christ. And that became a classic work. I'm not recommending it one second, by the way. But that became a classic work in the medieval times. And a classic amongst the literary, liter, literary works that you could call medieval Catholic devotion, mystic devotion even. And what we could we describe it? Well, we could describe these four books in that one volume as a hyper-pietistic work. 
In other words, they were taught to generate emotions and feelings and, and, and be convinced by the writings of Thomas a. Kempis that this was all of the Holy Ghost, that this was all good for their soul, that this was the way. Sounds very similar to the modern charismatic movement, because it is very similar to the modern charismatic movement. And so what were they to do? Well, amongst other things, they were to withdraw from the outside world as much as possible. And of course, as a monk, that would be, that would be his job. They were to focus on a, a self-created inner peace. They were trying to calm themselves down. Again, this is what Buddhism does. It teaches you physical exercises to try to calm yourself down and to shut off your thinking and your conscience, which is essentially what it does. And, and to gain something called purity of heart through his meditation techniques. He also had this idea of denying self and following Christ, hence the reference. But what was this Christ? Well, this was a mystical Christ of Thomas's own invention. It was not the Christ of Scripture. Yes, he took, he took verses, he took them out of context, and he twisted them to make them say what he wanted to do. Again... We're coming back to the charismatic world of, the, of these days. And he said to renounce all that you have. You had to renounce all that you have, otherwise you cannot be Christ's disciple. And he said this finally, and this should make it very clear to us all that this was false doctrine. You had to be devoted to the attendance of and the participation in the Romish Mass. So that's what he was teaching. And all of these things and these exercises that people were encouraged to do might, might help somebody who was devoted to these exercises, who thought that they were following Christ. They might convince them of a personal piety because they had emotions, they had feelings, they had experiences, they had stirrings, all of which are seen in all false religions. But what they don't do, they did not lead to the person going to Christ for the deliverance of their sins because they did this exercise, they read this, they did this meditation, they went to this Mass and it, they did, they did, they did. Essentially works of righteousness, pious righteousness, emotional righteousness. Thomas did not lead anybody to Christ, Thomas Akempis. They're not following Christ, they're, they're following themselves. But on the contrary, as we have read, what Christ describes and what Christ teaches is what it truly means to follow him. Because we have that reality. We could even say the word choice between following him or following self, as we've read in verse 34. And so with the Lord's gracious help this morning, let us consider from Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 how Christ himself describes someone that follows him. His description, not Thomas Akempis' description, not your description, not my description, but what Christ describes and defines. Hence the title of the message with the Lord's help is the Christ-defined disciple. The Christ-defined disciple. Now, before we get into our first point, you might think it's inappropriate, you might think it provocative to preach to you about whether you are a true disciple of Christ or not. And I'm sure some of you have already turned off. 
So that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. But that's exactly what Christ does here. He preaches to the disciples. His 12 disciples. Well, you might think, well, yes, he was teaching, he was preaching to 12, but we know he was really only preaching to one, to Judas Iscariot. He was the one's false convert in the group. But no, he was preaching to all the disciples, and not only all the disciples, but a number of people were there as well. As it says, and unto, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also. So there's a larger crowd he has there. And so we have the inner core of disciples, but we also have the outer followers of Christ. Those that would come and hear his, his preaching, but also those who would attend uh, to the needs of Christ and his disciples. So he was preaching to all of the disciples, whether they were saved or unsaved, and he was preaching to the people who were present as well, saved or unsaved. Verse 34 says very clearly there, he said unto them, he's preaching to more, it's not just Judas, he's preaching to them all. They all need to hear it, those who have a true profession and a true possession and those that don't. So he preached to those who did not yet follow him, what following him involved, and he preached to those who do follow him, what following him really means. And he says that to us this morning. And also a reason why we read from Mark 10 also. Because we read here that the Lord says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But he says it to the rich young ruler, who at that moment does not deny himself, and in his case is financial idolatry. He does not take up his cross, and he did not at that moment follow Christ. So firstly, let us open up the word, and the denial of yourself. The first point, the denial of yourself, this is what the Lord is speaking of. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Whosoever Again, that's a, that's a word that's, that, that's full of meaning. What, what, what does it mean? Well, it means anyone and everyone, whosoever. Anyone and everyone, in this case, anyone who will follow Christ, anyone who says that they follow Christ, let him deny himself. Now, that surely addresses all that profess Christ in the congregation this morning. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. He says it simply, he says it clearly, you are to deny self. You are to deny yourself. It's a great and a very solemn command. And it hits deep. Because all fallen men and women and boys and girls are by nature extreme egotists. Very much self-obsessed Everything is around how I feel, what makes me comfortable, what makes me feel good, what gives me authority or power or whatever it is. The self-obsession of fallen Adam and Eve and all their progeny. And that's what we are. The sons and daughters of a fallen covenant head. Now we know that some are more self-obsessed than others. We're all crippled with that same selfishness. But even in society, when we consider the difference, then we'll give different names. We might just say somebody's selfish. We could say somebody's arrogant. 
I could go on and to say someone's egotistical, maybe using a, a higher word for a worse situation, although it essentially just means selfish. Or a control freak, want to control everyone and everything. Going even worse, some of you who's sociopathic. And maybe at the end of the scale, there may be worse ones, but narcissist. A narcissist. It's all about them. All that they can do uh, to manipulate, to control, to convince, to lie, to have everything about them ultimately. Or to put it very, very simple, those that say, those that think, those that feel, and they may not say it, but they keep it inside. It's all about me, me, me. That's essentially what it comes down to. And how that's expressed, it can be to great extremes. That describes the whosoevers. Whosoever will come after me. So the Lord's not dealing with any high, righteous, and holy people. He's dealing with you and me. He's dealing with the people that were there at the time. Fallen into a godless selfishness. But it is the gospel that calls such egotists out of their self-obsession, out of their sinful pleasures, out of their godlessness, and calls them into selflessness, calls them into godliness, calls them into going to, going to the other extreme, shall we say. And so Christ says, deny yourself. It says to such egotists, as we all are, to deny yourself. What does that word deny mean? I'll just give a, a brief de a definition. It literally just means say no. Say no. That's what deny means. So when the Lord commands you in, and, and, and says to your me, 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 he says no, no, no. That's what he says, no. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about Christ. That's the truth. You are to say no to yourself. You are to refuse yourself. Getting into the, the depths of that word, deny. And self-denial itself, if we consider it, and is really an extension of repentance. Repentance is also a saying no. A saying no to you, a saying no to sin, a saying no to self-righteousness, a saying no to all, all that is against God. It's saying no to you, saying no to the devil, and saying yes to Jesus Christ. That's what we see in repentance. And, and because repentance is to be a daily lifestyle of everybody that professes life in Christ, new life in Christ, it's a daily saying no. A no to selfish desire, to sinful desire, to the works of the flesh, to the weakness of the flesh. Controlling the tongue, controlling the eyes, controlling the heart. And conforming to Christ. Whosoever will come after me. And that's the big, that's the, that's the big difference then, isn't it? Denying self and coming to Christ and staying close to Christ and, and following him. We'll come to that in the last point. 
So repentance is a daily necessity for the believer, and part of that is self-denial being a daily necessity. Self-denial, saying no to self. They're so linked. But how would the Christian then understand and apply denying self? You say, well, for the sinner, it's, it's repenting and believing. It's putting Christ on the throne of your heart, and there to leave sin and, and leave all. Well, it's the same thing for the believing, believing Christian, for the true Christian. They have that struggle every day with the flesh. Say no to the fleshly life. Say no to those thoughts, those feelings, those desires that are contrary to Christ. Scriptures call it mortifying the deeds of the flesh and all the works of the flesh. If you turn with me briefly to Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5 in the New Testament there. So just after 2 Corinthians, we have Galatians before we have Ephesians. If you just read very quickly, to make actual application of what we're considering, when the Lord says to believers, deny yourself, how do we practically understand that? Well, chapter 5 of Galatians, and from verses 19 to 21, it gives us these fleshly works that are to be denied, be fought against. Not commented on in someone else's life, but fought against in your own life. But that's always more difficult to do, isn't it? And that's what we see in the, in the leftists of today. They've always got a finger pointing at somebody else's faults, but their own lives are an absolute mess. They take no responsibility for themselves or for their mouths or for their actions. In fact, they excuse them hypocritically. And we better watch out that the Christians are not like these leftists. Always got a finger pointing at someone else's failings and weaknesses and doing nothing about their own personal corruption. So let's just read these verses, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So those that follow these things, that do these things, do not repent of these things, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now if you look at verses 19 and 21, there are some extreme open and public sins, which I would suggest they're not even in, in most Bible-believing churches are not present, but verse 20 really gets to the heart of sins that can be very hidden even in churches. So in the context of Christians, what we would see, worstly, when we see idolatry, well, idolatry is the keeping of yourself on the throne of your heart, that you decide, not Christ, but you decide. Oh, yeah, okay, the Lord has said this command and this command and this command, and I'm keeping those, but what about those 25 others? Well, no, I've decided as the king of mine own soul not to obey them. That's idolatry. Do you know of commands that you willfully do not keep? That's idolatry. And witchcraft, of course, when we think of witchcraft, we think of occult practice. But the Bible links occult practice with all aspects of rebellion. Because it's the same, it is rebellion. 
Rebellion denies God's authority and all God-ordained authority. God sees it for the wickedness it is. He doesn't see it as some great rebel. He sees it as devilish. What about hatred? Well, hatred, as we know from the Scriptures, the Lord is very black and white about these things. Hate is not love. So where there's a lack of love, the Lord would say it's hate. And he's right, of course. Which means there's still a lot of hate in the heart of every Christian. But it's unacceptable to Christ. As are all these things. Variance, what is that? Essentially rivalry between Christians. To one wanting to be better than the other or to be seen to be better than the other. Emulations. Uh, What are these? Negative emotions of resentment and jealousy. And so we would use the word emulate when you're trying to copy someone that you're, well, in a negative form jealous of. What somebody has. Emulations. And wrath. Well, that is an, an intense emotional anger. You'll see that in emotional outbursts. And strife. Strife. Well, that's caused by selfish ambition. Seditions. Well, what is seditions? Well, seditions in this context is the creating of division within a congregation or against the leadership of the congregation. Again, it's linked with rebellion. And heresies. Well, again, that's also a creating of division. The word literally means splittings. Uh, but especially in the context of true and false doctrine. So we would, we would use that word more in that doctrinal sense. So I bring those in because I see a, a, an immediate application to those who are in the professing church. But those aspects then, you may turn back to Mark chapter 8, but those aspects then are of the carnal character are not to be cherished, they're not to be maintained, uh, they're not even to be hidden, so no one else sees them. They are to be denied, they are to be repented of. Christ is not happy to see them in the heart, in the soul, and in the life. He is not. It does not please Christ. And if, if you are a Christian, surely everything you want to do is to please Christ. Now, he says they are to be denied and they are to be refused. Why? Because they are not part of his character. I said it all revolves around Christ. They're not in his character. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. So Christ saves us out of sin to make us more like him. That's the point of salvation. Not just to save your soul, but to transform the soul, to transform the life. They're not part of his character or the character that he once formed in each and every one of those who are truly his. And we could summarize them all, having just given some definitions, but they lack love, they lack kindness, they lack humility, they lack mercy, they lack gentleness. Ultimately, therefore, they lack Christ. They lack Christ. So we could say that the Lord demands that we deny un-Christ-likeness. Anything that's not like him, to deny it. And there's an awful lot in each and every one of our lives and hearts and minds that is un-Christ-like. He doesn't want them in your hearts. He doesn't want them in the thoughts. He doesn't want them in the families or in the congregations or in the nation. He does not want them in his kingdom. This is a king, a sovereign, with very high standards for his citizens. And so he wants nothing of the world, the devil, or the flesh in your life and therefore in his kingdom. 
and therefore he commands us and commands you to deny yourself. So that's the denial of yourself. Secondly, the raising aloft of your cross. The raising aloft of your cross. So he continues then in Mark 8 and verse 34. When he had called the people unto himself, into him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. You see, with that word and, it's not one or the other. It's also this. And, and the cross that is given to every and each uh, believer is what? It is to be taken hold of. It is to be lifted up. This is what both of those ideas are included in the word take up. It's not to be left lying there. It is to be taken up. So besides a denial of self, there is actually an embracing of a cross. And how do we understand this cross? Well, it's, strictly speaking, it's not the cross of Golgotha. although it is very much linked and related to it. It's not that cross, because that cross is where the Savior suffered and died as a sacrifice for sin. None of us are called to that work. None of us can do that work. So it's not that cross. It's the believer's own cross. Uh, the place that is placed upon them. And the place upon which the flesh is to be crucified, that's what we were considering. Those fleshly things that are in each and every one of us, to a greater or lesser degree that we read in Galatians, they are to be crucified on that personal cross. And that's what the language the apostle uses, the apostle Paul. And now in Romans 6 and verse 6, he says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, that's the link. That our sin and our sin nature is crucified with Christ upon that cross, and then we are given crosses. The crucifying of our sinful nature, yes, connected to Christ's cross, not saving us, but sanctifying us. Not saving us, but sanctifying us. Our own suffering will not save us. But the suffering of somebody who is truly saved will be sanctified through uh, these crosses. And as we see when we consider Christ, that Christ's body was broken on the cross, that his, his, his life was poured out as a sacrifice. And he, he is then the relationship besides the, that our sin was on Christ at that time. But our fleshly sinful nature should be broken upon the crosses that the Lord places upon us. That's what it's there for. Our fleshly sinful nature to be broken and it must be broken. It's too powerful. The old life poured out, not as a sacrifice, but as refuse, as sewage. And we know that from Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so the sufferings, the difficulties, the, the, the crosses and the losses, which, as the Puritans use that phrase, are the way that the Lord tests us, the way that the Lord humbles us, the way that the Lord changes us. Because those 
that experience of, of being broken upon the crosses that the Lord places upon us, they cause us more and more to deny ourselves. You see the link there between the denial of self and the taking up of the cross. And so the cross of the believer, therefore, is also this. It is a wholesale acceptance of God's providential rule in your life, of the dark providences, of the, of the, of the happy providences. And in that acceptation, there's not to be a denial of the cross because that is God's way of teaching you to deny yourself. And therefore, the Lord commands us, take up his cross. Take up your cross that the Lord wisely has laid upon you. And maybe there's a second cross laid upon it. But we're to take them up, to stand up, as it were, with them on our shoulders, and we're to follow Christ. Now, those crosses are not meant to crush you. They're meant to purge you. They're meant to break the power of sin and the flesh in your life. But they are meant to strengthen you ultimately, to, to humble you, to change you. And I would say we could use this modern phrase, an example of God's tough love. That God is a father who does not want spoiled children. He wants his children to mature, to grow up. It's not a hard, merciless love. But it's a tough, fruit-bearing love. That we would grow up, we would reach a level of spiritual maturity that our Heavenly Father expects of us. We know that from John 15, the first two verses. The Lord says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And so it is the Father's work to prune to cut away, or in the language of Christ here, to, to put crosses upon our backs. But the Lord does it for a great purpose, for a good purpose. As the Lord says through Romans 8 and verse 28, as Paul writes, we know that all things, so these crosses, these losses, these difficulties, these pains, these, these losing a faculty of old age, losing your faculties in your young age, if we think of Chanson. All these things that the Lord in his wise providence lays upon us, the dark providence of God, works together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Here's the great error of, not the great error, there are many, but one of the great errors of the charismatic world is, is to shake off the crosses, is to deny that there are crosses, is to have this idea that once you're saved, you know, it's all, it's all butterflies and roses and Rolls Royces and mansions. And the Bible just does not teach that. That will do you. That will, if the Lord was to do that, that would spoil you. That, that would destroy you. That would make you spiritually immature if you've even got any spiritual life within you. But the Lord's dealing with sinners. The Lord is dealing with those who have a corrupt nature. Those who are godless by nature. And that nature is still alive, else our bodies would be dead at conversion. So the Lord knows what he's dealing with. We don't. We have really a, 
a blinded or blinkered idea of who God's dealing with when we think about ourselves, but it is not true. Else Christ would not say to you this morning, deny yourself and take up your cross. But thirdly, he says this, follow me. So the denial of yourself, the raising aloft your cross, the following of Christ. That's how he ends this verse, and follow me. Again, the ands, huh? let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Maybe you could have a picture before you on the, the Via Dolorosa that the Lord is going to Golgotha and you are walking behind him. I'm not too sure that actually a really helpful image. Where you are in your life here, here in, in, in Calgary, here in Okotoks or whatever it is that you live in Alberta, this life that you have and the crosses that the Lord puts upon you and not some imaginary piece of wood, but the dark providence that he has put in the life, the illness, the financial difficulty, the heartache, the miscommunication, the lack of unity, the lack of love, or whatever it is that you experience in your life are crosses, not accidentally uh, poured upon you by the Lord, but carefully and surgically placed to force you to your knees that the Lord would strengthen you through it. Not take it away. Again, that's what the charismatic world teaches. You know, you pray that the Lord would take them away or in the name of Jesus Christ, death go away or something. No. Is that through the difficulties, with the cross, that you would know that the Lord would be carrying you through to the other side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no ill, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Through the valley. Not circumventing it, but through it. Why? Because that's the way that the Lord has told us to go. Thy rod and thy staff and thy cross. So the denying of selfishness, the, de the denying of self-righteousness, the denying, as we began, of self-obsession are to be attended with the taking up of the crosses that the Lord puts on our in our lives. He places on our back. He puts on our shoulders because he knows that that is the way. That is the way that these things will be dealt with. Not by just writing a check to a, a tele-evangelist. doesn't know the gospel, not even saved. But these are the ways that the Lord will humble you and bring you closer to him and make you more conformed to him. And if you fight against these dark providences, if you fight against the cross, I'll say this, you're not really following Christ. Because I would say that these two important and lifelong matters of self-denial and taking up the cross describe the following of Christ. They're part of following Christ. Although it's following Christ is third in a list, it's talking of a whole. So therefore, the truth is this, that if you do not deny yourself, if you do not take up your cross, you cannot follow Christ. You're unable to do so. You're actually following yourself. You're doing your own thing. Doing your own thing. 
following yourself, following your ideas, following your own theology, your own religion, your own traditions, but you're not following Christ. And as regard to the details of following Christ, what do we understand from that? The Lord doesn't open it up here, but he does elsewhere in the scriptures. Well, to follow Christ is to read and to understand and to obey all that Christ has given us. That's, that's the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission that we have worded not at the end of Mark, but at the end of Matthew. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Well, we're all right with that. Missionary work and baptism. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The whole counsel of God. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so to observe all things whatsoever he has commanded us, we are to do. The whole counsel of God. Again, that's an application that has come again and again and again in the Word. And it needs to be preached because there are many that still don't hear it and certainly don't do it. You cannot pick and mix scriptures without saying no to King Jesus and saying yes to King you. Understanding Christ as your King and as your Lord is to do all that he says. You, you, you can't abuse Christ's mercy and patience. by deciding what you can obey and what you don't want to obey. And so it's not that pick and mix, it's not that self-rule, it's not that self-adoration as opposed to self-denial, it's not refusing the cross, but it's the taking up of the cross and then following him wherever he leads you. Wherever he leads you, through the word, by the word, by his spirit, through your conscience, where he leads you, and they're all subservient to the, to the Word of God. Whether others approve or not, it's of no interest here. Follow me, he says. Yeah, but what will that person think and what will that person say? What will my family say? Oh, but our family tradition is this, or the congregation has always done this, or the denomination has always done this, or, or this, our country has always done this. No, it's following Christ where he and his word leads you. Because that is the de definition of being one of his disciples, being taught by him. So it's, for many, it's radical. It's a radical change. It's not just the exterior. It's not just the thing, outward things. And many people are happy with that. But Christ isn't. Christ is not happy. And therefore he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Follow Christ in the morning, follow Christ in the afternoon, follow him in the evening, follow him at bedtime, pray to him, read his word, be changed by that word. That you're therefore very close to him, following very close behind him. That the Lord takes a left, st left turn here, that you take that left turn. That you follow him as much as you're able. But in order to do so, you must deny yourself. You must say no to yourself. 
You must take up your cross. You must humble yourself under his almighty and wise hand. And in so doing, you are truly able to follow Christ. And why would you not want to follow Christ? Why would you not want to be as close to Christ as is possible? Again, it's not an emotion. Emotions are, emotions are, are awoken in this close following of Christ. But they are not the emotions. It's following him, following his word, and all that he has said, everything that he has said. But he, he really insists this morning, and may God grant us grace to do this, is to deny self, because denying self is accepting Christ more and more fully and more and more truly. And so we get to know him more. The more we deny self and the more we accept Christ, the better we get to know him. Whom to know is life eternal. Whom to know even here is a foretaste of heaven, is a foretaste of glory. I do not preach a religion. I'm not, repeat, uh, I'm not preaching rules. I am preaching Jesus Christ to you all. Deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow me. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. And may he bless his word to us today. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we do thank thee for thy word. We pray for grace, O God, because thou knowest how easily distracted we are in life and so busy uh, and so well-meaning when we hear the message and then we go home and forget it. But will thou grant grace, power from heaven to each and every one who would hear this message to deny themselves, to take up the cross that thou hast placed upon us and truly to follow thee. Oh, thou knowest the power of self, of sinful self. We pray for grace that it would be broken, that the old man and woman of the flesh would be mortified, crucified, done away with, O oh God. But we cannot do this ourselves. We cannot. Thou hast commanded it. And therefore, Lord, we pray, give that grace and that strength and that power that we may carry it out, that we may deny ourselves that we may take up the cross and that we may truly, truly, truly follow Thee. That we may know Thee. That we may love Thee. That we may obey Thee. That we may love Thee with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. We pray Thee this in Jesus' name and to Thy eternal glory. Amen. Amen. And our closing song is hymn 469. And we'll sing verses 1 and 4 of hymn 469, Take Time to Be Holy. Please stand. Remain standing for the benediction, please.